the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. I hope you had a fine holiday yesterday. But we're glad to be back in studio today. James Blend is producing Sam Maupin Engineering today's program. Today we're going to talk with Mark Hitchcock. He's the co-author of Global Reset. Do current events point to the Antichrist and his worldwide empire? The book is published by Thomas Nelson. It's like his 30th book. We'll talk with him about that when he joins us later this hour. Uh, we'll also share some final thoughts. Anne Caldwell wrote a column for Patriot Post having to do with women after abortion who are caught in the crossfire and in the midst of the debate that's going on all across the country or the decision that was recently made, there are some women who are hurting, especially in the crossfire. So we'll get into that later in the program today as well. Well, following the U.S. Supreme Court's recent decision to overturn Roe versus Wade, some Democrats and some on the left unleashed a deluge of criticism against the court, with some claiming the system is so broken it effectively needs to be blown up. Let's hope that's not literally. And while much of the rhetoric surrounding the ruling can be chalked up to emotionally um, emotional hyperbole, uh, it didn't serve to expose just how severe in the is the political divide that currently exists within our nation. The question now is, is it reparable? What ultimately causes this divide? Well, the crux of the issue may be best addressed with the following question. What does it mean to be an American? As our nation just celebrated its 246th year of existence, we seem to be in the midst of another major identity crisis. And while it might not be as significant as the identity crisis that led to the war between the states, although maybe it is, almost no one argues that the division isn't real. Billy Joe Armstrong, he's the lead singer of the rock band Green Day, epitomized this American identity rift with his profane tyroid uh, while on stage in London, England. Expletive America, he said, and went on from there with equally uh, offensive language. Fittingly, Armstrong's band is known for an album titled American Idiot. That's the title they chose. While his sentiment is shared by a growing number of uh, folks, particularly on the left, as evidenced by a group of pro-abortion radicals that called for a boycott of the 4th of July, one of the boycott's organizers explained, we're looking to show Florida and the country that the impact of controlling women's bodies will have far-reaching consequences. Of course, women have full control of their bodies. It's the bodies that they may carry after having exercised that control. That's the source of the debate. Unfortunately, it's not just some fringe radical group that call for a boycott of the nation's Independence Day celebrations. Several Democrats did so as well. In Pima County, Arizona, Democrats hosted a expletive the fourth event. In fact, the Pima County Democrat Party supported the boycott via a social media post Make no mistake, however, we support the event, which will be on the 4th of July at 7 o'clock p.m. at Reed Park. The event was organized to help women in our, com- in our community grieve for the loss of their bodily autonomy, which we consider an elemental right. Now, it's very interesting to me the way they phrase what has been lost in overturning Roe. What did Roe actually do? It says there's no constitutional right to abortion, but the states are free 
to make decisions about what they will do on the subject on their own. In other words, the people will decide rather than the robed Supreme Court uh, jurists. The people will decide if abortion on demand uh, and it, in what um, in what way it will be allowed in your respective states. But that is being characterized as something quite different. Anyway, further underscoring the divide was Gallup's annual survey of America's patriotic attitude. It's a survey that's been conducted since 2001. According to that poll, the most recent patriotism among Americans has slipped significantly since last summer, as 58 percent of Republicans, 34 percent of independents and just 26 percent of Democrats say they are extremely proud to be an American. Now, extremely proud might not have been the best way to put it, but nonetheless, that's what the survey said. Just last year, the numbers were 87 percent, 65 percent and 62 percent, respectively. Patriotism, or to put it another way, a committed love of one's country has now become effectively politicized and little else. Jonathan Zimmerman, professor of history at the University of Pennsylvania, lamented, and I'm quoting, as a card carrying liberal, I am both saddened and appalled by the way the left has ceded patriotism to the right. He added, my fellow liberals need to reclaim this mantle of critical patriotism. Let's teach our young people to love the idea of America so they will be inspired to make it a reality, end quote. Well, that's certainly the approach that I take. The idea of America, I celebrate. It has fallen far short, and certainly my history as an African-American would reflect that. But the idea of America, the inspiration from which it came, is to be celebrated, embraced, and fought for so that we ultimately arrive at what the goal was to be. Robert Geminer, he's an uh, economics professor at Methodist University in North Carolina, observed, I believe that Independence Day is indeed becoming a conservative holiday, but this is a result of misguided view that America was not founded on freedom, end quote. Well, not everyone in America was free, but that's another subject for another day. So what does it mean to be an American? When patriotism is viewed as political and cliche, how then is one's view of the nation itself not also diminished and even vilified? Well, honesty about America's past, both its virtues and its failures, and we have plenty of both, is not the problem. The issue is the demand for historic perfectionism that never has and never will exist. As long as a nation is occupied by men and women, it will always fall short. Love of country doesn't mean a refusal to criticize or a denial of past injustices. It means a commitment to see this nation continue to rest upon the principles it was founded upon. That's what makes America uniquely a great country. We don't give up on America because of who's president or because of a U.S. Supreme Court ruling or because Congress raises our taxes, all of which one might raise a fist to. To be an American is not bound to an identity based on race or sex or class or ability. Rather, it is the privilege of being a citizen of the country most committed to the principles of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And to the degree that we fall short, working to bring us up to that standard and that ideal. So I hope you had a wonderful 4th of July. I know I did. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a break here in just a moment. want to remind you that Mark Hitchcock will be my guest later this hour. He's the co-author of Global Reset. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next segment, we'll talk with Mark Hitchcock, co-author of Global Reset. Do current events point to the Antichrist and his worldwide empire? The book is published by Thomas Nelson. Hey, I also want to give you a heads up. If you want to save big on Christian school tuitions, run now. 
to kpdq.com. If you'd like to send your kids to a Christian school this fall but worry about the tuition, we can help. You can save up to 40% on tuition at two fine schools, Cornerstone Christian Academy and Grace Lutheran School. Availability is limited, so go to kpdq.com. Click on the Listener's Saving tab at the top of the homepage for more information. And uh, save big. Well, guest uh, a guest commentary by Mark Fowler um, had the headline, The Absence of Light, explaining where we kind of stand as a culture. And he writes that a society led by a movement that throws a tantrum every time it doesn't get its way is living in darkness. A movement that deliberately overstates its case while lamenting a perceived injustice is living in darkness. The recent reversal of Roe versus Wade, shifting the locus of decision-making to the state legislatures and away from the unelected Supreme Court, is neither the end of the world nor a justification for altering the Supreme Court. Only nine-year-olds threaten to take their toys home when things don't go their way. Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson will replace, and has now, uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer, retired. Uh, Harvard Law graduate, she's presumably qualified and seems personable. Her nomination and qualifications are beclouded by two things. Too much emphasis um, was placed on her being the first black woman nominated to the Supreme Court. She was qualified not because she's a black woman, but because of her credentials. And she lamentably claimed that she could not define a woman. How utterly absurd. Well, notwithstanding her apparent ability to self-identify as a woman, select the appropriate restroom and marry a person who happens to be male, she can't identify what a woman is. In any other context, she would be laughed out of the room. But this is a perfect example of living in darkness. We are besieged by an elite that values being current rather than being correct. To whatever extent all humans ought to be afforded dignity and respect, Consistent with the golden rule, we could all agree that individuals of whatever sexual orientation ought to be afforded that dignity. I think we all at least should, if we don't agree, should. However, living in a society means that all must surrender some autonomy in favor of the whole. I may not insist on driving 100 miles an hour in a school zone just because I wish, as a result of my firmly held belief, that I am a race car driver. A 20-year-old may not play Little League baseball simply because he genuinely identifies as an 8-year-old. To argue that a person born male must be allowed to complete, compete rather against women in sports is to live in darkness disguised by enlightenment. In boxing, this is punching below the waist, or at least below the weight. Individuals with body dysmorphic disorder claim a body part is dysfunctional or that it's ugly and therefore must have surgery. Patients have bulimia or anorexia nervosa, mistakenly believing that they are overweight and starve themselves to the point of malnutrition. No capable physician encourages that mistaken belief. And yet we have elevated gender issues to a civil religion. There are those among us who have embraced this line of reasoning to a point where it is um, sacrosanct and may not be challenged in any form by anyone for any reason. Those who do seek to discuss the issue in a critical manner are simply canceled. In Florida recently, a bill paused by the legislature prohibits the discussion of sexual content in the presence of children in school. Disney leadership as a whole resisted this measure via a false narrative. Don't say gay. It was never about don't say gay. It was about uh, it was not anti-gay. It was simply a measure to prevent the discussion of certain behaviors in the presence of small children. That such a law need to be passed speaks to the extreme to which we have become hypersexualized. A human being is more than his or her, well, sexual genitalia. 
Sex education is best done at home and teachers have no business discussing such matters with children who ought to be free in their naivete, their innocence, if you will. Coach Joseph Kennedy engaged in a practice of praying briefly while kneeling after a football game. He prayed silently, was occasionally joined by players from his team, although they were not invited to other coaches, sometimes and opposing players, as well as members of the public. He didn't encourage or expect players to participate with him. The school district ordered him to stop fearing litigation from those who opposed the practice, although there wasn't a single complaint. He refused and was fired. The U.S. Supreme Court held in his favor and hopefully the coach will be reinstated, although that's not uh, certain. Bearing in mind that Coach Kennedy was not mandating student participation, did not connect his behavior to his job as a coach other than temporarily, why was it necessary to censure him for his behavior, engaging in coercive religious behavior or trying grades or permission to participate in school activities to coerce religious behavior would be wrong. But it's a sign of religious intolerance to forbid a coach from praying privately after a game. And this is the heart of the problem. We've excluded any reference to Judeo-Christian ethical teaching from the public sphere. In its place, we have substituted many forms of progressive humanism, including sex education, the details of which are best left undiscussed. At one point, the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, had a sex week that included discussions of, well, things I won't even mention. College students need assistance figuring this out, one wonders. Well, a sign of the times is the popularity of Drag Queen Story Hour, where men dressed in hypersexualized as women read stories to little children. Do the parents in attendance wish their children to view women as hypersexual beings? Do they want their sons to emulate this practice? Those with gender confusion are entitled to our courtesy and to be left in peace. They are seeking our approbation. Society is best served with holding that. Tolerance should not become approval and purience is best ignored. This is where we find ourselves in the absence of light. Well, in other news, authorities investigating the deadly 4th of July parade shooting in Highland Park, Illinois, on Tuesday. So they believe the gunman... Um, uh, pre-planned the attack for several weeks. The Lake County Major Crimes Task Force that held a press conference just moments ago said it appears the the shooter legally purchased a high-powered rifle and uh, brought it to the parade uh, before accessing the roof of a building through a fire escape ladder. He then fired more than 70 rounds into the crowd below, killing six, now seven. The number was updated earlier today and wounding dozens more. During the attack, Uh, He was dressed in women's clothing, and investigators do believe he did uh, this to conceal his facial tattoos and uh, his identity and to help him during the escape with the other people who were uh, fleeing the chaos. Officials say that the shooter then dropped the weapon and fled the scene with the rest of the panicked public, blending in almost as if he was an innocent spectator. Well, the 21-year-old then went to his mother's house and borrowed her vehicle before later being found and taken into custody, according to Law enforcement. Well, instead, that vehicle, or rather inside that vehicle, police found another rifle that appears to have been bought by uh, the shooter. And investigators uh, elsewhere recovered several more firearms at a home he was living in, in Highwood, which police believe he also purchased legally. Uh, No charges uh, were announced until just moments ago. And at this point, he's been charged with first degree murder for every one of the seven deceased victims of his shooting. Uh, And we were assured that more charges will be filed, each related to each individual victim. And that will be announced at some future date. 
Well, bringing immeasurable sadness, the victims of that deadly mass shooting at the 4th of July parade outside Chicago uh, began to be identified. And as mentioned, the press conference earlier today gave more details. Safety for me, but not for thee. Georgia's Democratic gubernatorial nominee, Stacey Abrams, has paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for private security through her campaign since December of 2021 when she launched her second bid for governor. Now, I don't uh, begrudge her seeking security for her campaign and for herself, but the fact that she serves on a board of a foundation that wants to abolish police and personally backs an anti-police initiative. Safety for me, but not for thee. Over 100 sheriffs in the Peach State condemned her over her ties to the foundation and her soft on crime policies, which followed Governor Brian Kemp uh, calling on her to resign from its board. The attention follows numerous um, reports on her involvement with the group. A vicious cycle. Juvenile crime is hurting young victims across major U.S. cities. Saying, I'm in mourning, an employee has been fired after refusing to work over the Roe versus Wade ruling. Didn't show up for work. Saying, our best days lie ahead. President Biden celebrated the 4th of July on Monday in a statement marking the holiday, painting a positive outlook for America. The 4th of July is a sacred day in our country. It's a time to celebrate the goodness of our nation, the only nation on earth founded based on an idea that all people are created equal, the president wrote on Twitter. He added, make no mistake. Our best days are still ahead. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a break. And when we return, a conversation with Mark Hitchcock, author or rather co-author of Global Reset. Do current events point to the Antichrist and his worldwide empire? You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My next guest addresses the question, are we headed for a great reset. COVID unleashed a cascade of consequences that are now reaching far beyond the pandemic itself. Governments have begun leveraging the coronavirus and even the vaccine as a power grab, setting the stage for further intrusions in the future. And these accelerants are driving the world to the precipice of fundamental, irreversible transformation. The winds of change are blowing. Tectonic shifts are underway at every level. And these realities are alarming by themselves. And yet there remains a still deeper, more sinister agenda. Well, co-authors Mark Hitchcock and Jeff Kinley painstakingly make the case together in Global Reset. Do current events point to the Antichrist and his worldwide empire? That uh, while we aren't yet in the end times, we're on the edge of a precipice. It's a fascinating work. Well, my guest is Dr. Mark Hitchcock. He graduated from law school in 84 after working for a judge at the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals for four years. He led was led to attend Dallas Theological Seminary. He was served. Uh, has served as a um, senior pastor of Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. He completed his Ph.D. at Dallas Theological Seminary in 2005. He serves as an associate professor of Bible exposition uh, there. Uh, he has uh, written over, a t- um, had his books rather, translated in over 10 languages and has written many, many books. We're talking about one of them today and are just delighted to have you with us, Dr. Mark Hitchcock. Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. You begin the book, uh, and again, Global Reset, by writing about a global preset. Explain what you mean by that and uh, the fascinating account that you give um, of the 2020 uh, Davos, Switzerland uh, confab, if you will, the World Economic Forum. Yes. Well, thanks for having me so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, the whole idea of a global reset comes from the Great Reset. 
And uh, the Great Reset really is the brainchild of uh, Klaus Schwab, who was the head of the World Economic Forum, meeting in Davos, Switzerland every year. And uh, they met this this past year. And um, as always, the, the goal is basically to um, take control basically over um, basically every part of the globe. They, they say their mission is to shape global, regional, and industry agendas to bring about a, a global reboot. And uh, basically what they want to do is to uh, use crises. Uh, they tried to do it back with the, the housing crisis in 2008. Uh, they certainly seized on the COVID crisis. That's when Klaus Schwab wrote his book, The Great Reset. And uh, the next one's probably going to be climate change, you know, things like inflation. But basically, they, they, what they're doing is they're kind of reaching into every area of life to try to take control over every imaginable domain, the economic, geopolitical, governmental, you know, the, all the technological, the medical, you know, through the CDC and World Health Organization. So basically, it's to, to take control over people's lives in every area. And uh, again, we call this a preset because what we're seeing today is not the global empire of the Antichrist, but it's a preset for that. So it's a reset, but really it's a preset for the ultimate reset that's coming when uh, the Antichrist comes and takes power. And uh, what we're seeing today is just kind of a faint foreshadow of that. You make the point that um, Pandora's box has been opened. This is, as you put it, the preset to events yet to come. Can you talk uh, more specifically about why the 2020 confab was significant in this this move in the direction that ultimately will result in a global reset? Well, yeah, in, in 2020, obviously, that's, you know, when COVID's taking place. And so because COVID um, you know, they were able to have lockdowns, you know, vaccines, track and trace technology. That was really the boost for all of this, because the whole the whole idea of this reset, it hinges on, on crisis. You have to have a crisis. And so kind of there's a kind of a pattern or a cycle here where there's a crisis and then there's chaos. Obviously, COVID created chaos. And then out of that comes control. Uh, they seek to have control. And then from the control comes compliance. You know, people are kind of um, you know, basically uh, brought to a place of submission, and then there's calm. So they need a crisis to gain control. You know, years ago, Rahm Emanuel, the the um, chief of staff for President Obama, said, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. Mm-hmm. And uh, they realized they have to have a crisis to create the fear and the alarmism to get people to kind of knuckle under and surrender their rights to do what they want them to do. And so that basically in 2020 was kind of the launching pad, really, for all of this. And now that the one they just had a couple, a few weeks ago, Davos, Switzerland, their, their most recent meeting, a third of their meetings were about climate change. So that's kind of the, you know, the crisis du jour, if you will. That's kind of the next one that's in the waiting in the wings with, uh, you know, kind of a, you know, uh, a climate apocalypticism that's out there. You know, the world's going to end. We got to, you know, make all these changes. So that's what they feed on. And again, it worked to a T really with, with, uh, with the COVID crisis. And, you know, it's really not over yet. It's just, it's kind of an ongoing crisis where it's going to be around for a long time. They're going to keep feeding it, I think, as long as they can. What role will technology, uh, contact tracing and tracking play in moving in the direction that they uh, are working toward? Well, that's the real difference nowadays, I think. You know, people often ask me, they'll say, well, you know, people have always talked about the Antichrist coming and a one-world government and a one-world economy. You know, people have been talking about these things forever. You know, what's the difference now? Well, the, the difference is technology, I mean, it's a, it's, and it's a massive difference. 
uh, you know, the, the cell phones we have, people can be tracked and traced. And this began during COVID, where, uh, you know, people would be, you know, had no, all the people you've been in contact with. But the, the, the part about this, of this whole technology that I think is the most chilling is when it comes to financial dealings, there's, uh, you know, we all know about cryptocurrencies, but there's something else called central bank digital currency that's actually going to be issued by central banks, by governments. China already has a, a digital currency. Not everyone uses it, but it's, got, it's, a, it's a digital yuan. So back on March 9th, uh, President, uh, President Biden issued an executive order for the powers that be in the United States to begin investigating uh, the uh, digital dollar. And the thing that's frightening about that is with the digital dollar, it's, it's um, programmable. So they can track and trace where you spend every dollar. So they'll know every, every penny you spend, but it's programmable in the sense that they can actually program where you can spend the money. So if they, if they don't want you to buy a firearm, then, then none of the money is, is, is put to that. They, if they want you to eat less meat because, you know, they're concerned about methane that, you know, given off by cattle for global warming, then you can only buy, you know, so much meat. You might buy so much gasoline or whatever. So, you know, you maybe won't be able to use any of the money to give to a, a ministry that you want to give to that's on a blacklist. So once, once something like that takes place, that kind of technology is in place with, with, a, with a currency – um, you know, really, humanly speaking, it's checkmate because, you know, people are totally in the control then economically of this, you know, massive system. So, you know, technology really just in every way really is the driver of this and just all the surveillance uh, that, that's taking place in people's lives. So that's really the game changer, I think, in many ways that that even allows things like this global reset or this great reboot uh, to even be talked about today. You write in um, the section of your book, Return to Babylon, that these realities are alarming by themselves, and yet there remains a deeper, more sinister agenda embedded within. According to prophecies found in the scriptures, a one-world government will indeed emerge in the end times. To more fully understand this coming kingdom, we have to grasp how both Daniel and Revelation describe it. Now, for people who are skeptical that we are living in the end times as described in uh, in scripture, what what should we be aware of in order to understand uh, what we're witnessing today and what's coming. Well, the Bible predicts in Revelation chapter 13, if someone wants to read that for themselves, it predicts a, a one world government, um, a one world economy and a one world religion in the end times. And again, the book of Daniel is kind of the precursor to this, but it's really fleshed out most clearly in the book of Revelation. Um, you know, the, the world started after the, the flood, the Tower of Babel. Everybody was there together under the rule of one man named Nimrod. God scattered people all over the earth. And we've gone from tribalism to nationalism to, to globalism. And Satan is the master globalist. He's trying to bring the world back together again under the rule of one man. Satan wants to be worshipped. And that's where everything ultimately is headed. That's what we call it, back to Babylon or back to Babel. And everything's headed back there. And interestingly, two of the last chapters in the Bible are about Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18. So everything's headed towards this, this globalism. And again, if you look at our world today, to me, that's one of the key signs of the times um, that tells us uh, where we are in God's prophetic calendar is just the incredible uh, exponential mushrooming in, in globalism in our world today. And that fact alone is really consistent with what we see in Scripture. It's, it's not far-fetched at all now to see how, um, in the not-too-distant future, a person could really come along 
who could uh, have a, a, a one-world government, a one-world global economy. Uh, we're, we really have a global economy already in many senses. We have different currencies, but you know, one nation has you know drops and has has, has a big problem. You know, one of the main nations it affects the world. Mm-hmm. So all of this is moving towards this ultimate empire um, of the Antichrist. And again, I, I believe in a, a pre-tribulation rapture. So I think one of these days, you know, millions and millions of people disappear off the face of the earth. And you talk about a crisis for these global elites to seize upon and ultimately the Antichrist. That's going to be the, the, the crisis of all crises, you know, for them to exploit and, and, and take advantage of that. I think then they'll leverage to even accelerate this, this globalism even more. We're talking this afternoon with uh, Mark Hitchcock. He's the co-author of Global Reset. Do current events point to the Antichrist and his worldwide empire? We'll continue that conversation in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Dr. Mark Hitchcock. He graduated from law school. He attended Dallas Theological Seminary. He's completed his Ph.D. at Dallas Theological Seminary and serves as an associate professor of Bible exposition there. He's offered over 30 books related to end times biblical prophecy. His books have been translated into over 10 languages. He's a frequent speaker at churches and prophecy conferences both here in the U.S. and internationally. We're talking about the book he co-authored along with uh, Jeff Kinley, Global Reset, Do Current Events Point to the Antichrist and His Worldwide Empire? Well, let me ask you about um, uh, the, the grand illusion. You have a section, Bigger Stage, Bigger Illusion. You share the story of an illusionist who had... Um, lots of people fascinated by his sleight of hand, if you will, but that there is a bigger illusion coming that um, will explain, at least in part, how so many are deceived into embracing what's coming. Yeah, that's right. You know, to, to uh, magnify the crises that are happening in our world today, the global resetters use uh, mass deception. Um, you know, we, we see this, you know, I use COVID as an example. And again, you know, I'm not a you know, vaccination denier or any kind of things like that myself. But you see the deception. It was hard to tell who was telling the truth. You hear one person mm-hmm. say one thing, one person say another thing. You're just trying to decipher all this and think, where, where's the truth? Where's, where's the truth in all this? And, you know, eventually you find out at the end that there's a lot of deception that's taking place, you know, in the names, name of science and creates a lot of fear and a, a alarmism because if people are fearful enough and deceived enough, then they'll submit and they'll comply. And that's exactly what's going to happen when the ultimate global reset comes with uh, the Antichrist in the end times, uh, the Bible tells us that Satan is going to energize this this final world ruler like like no one before. Uh, my my co-author Jeff Kinley calls the Antichrist Satan with skin on. That's a pretty good way to to look at what he's going to be like. But the Bible tells us he's going to do all kinds of lying signs and wonders. So actually going to be astounding miracles are going to take place in wonders. Now it calls them lying wonders. It doesn't mean they're false. It just means the purpose of them. Um, is to deceive people. And, you know, ultimately, this, this Antichrist figure is going to die and come back to life. I mean, a dramatic event, a, a parody of, of the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. So there's going to be mass deception. I think we have no idea what the deception will be like ultimately in, in the tribulation period. But we are today, I think, getting a little foretaste of that with just, 
you know, knowing what to believe, who to believe, um, it's it's becoming very difficult uh, today. That's even true in the spiritual realm. There's so many, you know, false teachers out there today, people saying different things, but people are very confused today. It takes it takes a lot of discernment, I think, today to be able to cut through a lot of that. And that's one of the reasons we need programs like yours, and we need good churches that teach the Bible, and we need to you know, spend time in God's Word each day, because we, we, t- we, need, we need discernment uh, desperately today. Oh, absolutely. You make the point that this Satan, if you will, with skin on, um, will function in the same way that we've seen Satan function in Scripture. He darkens the mind. He distracts um, uh, desires. He deceives hearts. He uh, dilutes the truth. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking at different titles in your book uh, that we can predict to some degree what to expect based on what we've seen in the past, um, but on a grander scale than the world has ever seen. No, that's right. You know, Satan's the master deceiver. That's his main uh, modus operandi is deception. You know, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, he comes to Eve and he says, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree? It's deception is what he brings in. He's uh, constantly deceiving, and uh, that's what he uses. And um, he deceives people ultimately to, to believe all kinds of things. They don't need a Savior. Uh, they're not that bad. They're not that sinful. But the deception we're seeing today in our world is on a, is on a mass scale. And again, as we mentioned earlier, part of that is technology. Technology allows for this mass deception uh, to take place, but that's always been been Satan's uh, program. Satan's uh, the master counterfeiter. You know, he never had an original idea in his mind, but he takes what God has and he counterfeits it. Um, he, he manipulates it. He deceives people through it, and uh, that's what we see happening in our world today. And it's gonna, it's just gonna continue to ramp up. And again, the ultimate final deception will be that this final ruler, the Antichrist, that he is God. And the Bible says that people will worship him as God. They're going to have to take a mark upon them, uh, the right hand or the forehead, a a visible, physical mark upon them to be able to buy or sell. So that will be the ultimate deception. The world began with with the sin of man, but it's going to end with the man of sin, and that'll be the final deception. Mm. And one of the points you make in the chapter on the mark is that it's not something that you could inadvertently stumble into, but this will be a decision made to embrace um, the Antichrist. And I appreciated that you explain that uh, in the book, Global Reset, that, you know, you're not going to wake up one day and think, oh, dear, I've accidentally somehow stumbled into this uh, this commitment. That's right. Yeah, the mark of the beast is going to be something that people knowingly, willingly do. And, and, you know, it's going to be the number 666 which I believe in Revelation 13, verses 16 to 18, it talks about that. I think it's, that's literally the numerical value of the Antichrist name. So when people take that number on them, it's a pledge of allegiance. It's a loyalty pledge to the Antichrist. And it'll also serve then as the, the passport for commerce. But yeah, I'll have people sometimes ask me, well, you know, if they get come up with a, you know, a national identification card, should I get that? You know, could that be the mark of the beast? And there's several problems. That one is the mark of the beast won't come until the time of the tribulation, actually the the last half of the seven-year tribulation. And the other thing is, so it's jumping the gun to say anything today is the the mark of the beast. But again, as you pointed out, people will willingly take it. So once they take it, they're going to be doomed. And so it's a willful choice that people reject Christ, they accept Antichrist. So, you know, nothing today, nothing before uh, the tribulation begins. Actually, nothing before the middle of the tribulation could be 
the mark of the beast. So people just need to remember that and not get, um, you know, uh, speculate about what the mark of the beast is, if it's around now or become you're really fearful about Social Security cards or, you know, global ID cards or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, the scriptures uh, talk a lot about a one world order, and it sounds very appealing in the world today. You've got the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. You've got uh, the the threat of, of China. You've got Israel, the focus of Iran and other nations. The, the notion of a one world order where there's unity and peace, it sounds very attractive. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, that goal of the of the enemy, but um, how that will be so appealing. And of course, there's one who will uh, make it most appealing, um, the the Antichrist himself. But uh, talk a bit about the one world order and why that would be contrary to what God intends. Yeah, the one world order, you know, is really interesting this last week, you know, one of the uh, economic advisors for uh, President Biden talked about the liberal world order. Mm-hmm. We have to have this, the liberal one, and that went viral. A million people saw that almost immediately. Liberal world order. Uh, we've got you know the new world order, uh, the great reset. Actually, uh, the words "build back better" is was taken from the World Economic Forum. So all of these are kind of um, synonyms, really, if you will, for this uh, one world order. We're kind of a borderless world where we don't have all the wars we have, and you know it's a. What it is, it's what people have wanted from the beginning, utopia. You know, we want a utopia on Earth. And, of course, we believe there will be a utopia someday when the King of Kings comes, uh, the Lord Jesus. He's going to set up a, a utopia. But the idea that man can produce this this utopia, you know, I, I always I always laugh at that. And I, I try not to be too sarcastic. But, you know, years ago, you know, John Lennon wrote the song, Imagine, you know, all the people, you know, living life in peace. And I was like to point out, you know, the Beatles couldn't even get along with each other. You know, the band <laughs> broke up, you know. So and you got four people that can't get along talking about the whole world living in peace. And, again, I'm not I'm not bashing them, but you see it in marriages all, all over the place. You know, two people can't get along. So you know, how are we going to get seven billion people? It's a, it's a pipe dream that, that Satan sells to the world. But the Antichrist, I think, when he comes, he's coming on a platform of peace. And he's going to come, and he's going to make a treaty with Israel. I think he's going to bring peace to the Middle East, at least for a short period of time. So I think he's going to be Times Man of the Year. You know, he'll be the you know the win the Nobel Peace Prize. So he's smart and crafty. He's going to come on this this peace platform and prosperity, which is what all politicians want to want to bring. But it's going to quickly begin to to disintegrate and fall apart. But you know, people want it so badly. Uh, people want peace. They want unity in this world so badly that when someone comes and you know, there's even a faint hope that they can bring it, people will, will, will fall in, in line for that really quickly. But it's going to be a deception again, and uh, it'll quickly disintegrate, and the world's going to you know, descend into chaos in the tribulation period. But, um, you know, people want that. They want it badly. But, uh, you know, it's it, it's never going to happen until Jesus comes. Yeah. Once again, we're talking about the book Global Reset. Uh, My guest, uh, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, and his co-author, Jeff Kinley, are the authors. Uh, Do current events point to the Antichrist and his worldwide empire? He's consented to stay with us for a few more minutes. We've got news and traffic here at the top of the hour, and we will be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation. We began in the previous hour with Dr. Mark Hitchcock. He is, along with Jeff Kinley, the co-author of Global Reset, Do Current Events Point to the Antichrist and His Worldwide Empire? It uh, covers a lot of, of questions that people have about the details and uh, what to expect. You know, one of the things that I, I think a lot of people wonder about is with this notion of one world order, how the nations would come together. For example, um, is China going to be a cooperative? Is it going to be part of this new world order? You you write about the role that China is likely to play as opposed to the Middle East and different uh, parts of the globe. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's it's challenging to imagine, given what we see today, what it might look like in the future when there's a moment of unity and then the conflicts break out. Yes, um, you know China obviously is. I mean, they have mass power today by their through their population, through their industry they have. I mean, they're they're obviously the other key power now, really, to offset the United States. And you know, people are projecting that their economy could be larger uh, than the economy of the United States you know, in, the, in the not too distant future. What's interesting, though, to me about this whole global reset and the uh, World Economic Forum, China is a key player in the World Economic Forum. Um, Klaus Schwab, his son, is married to a woman from China. And people have even called Klaus Schwab, who's the head of the World Economic Forum uh, that, that meets in Davos, Switzerland every year. They, they've called uh, Klaus Schwab a China fanboy. They actually look to China as kind of the model for what they want the world to be like, which, again, is totalitarian. Um, you know, mass surveillance. You know, in China, they have a social credit score. Everybody has a social credit score. You're under so much surveillance, they constantly know what you're doing. I mean, it, it literally is the reality of, you know, Big Brother's watching that, um, you know, if, if your social credit score is low, things you do wrong, your Internet's slower, your kids can't go to certain schools, you can't travel. In fact, if you break leash laws, they come take your dog away. I mean, that's how draconian it is and what they're watching. So this is what the World Economic Forum looks at, and this is the control they want. They they want they want control in the world concentrated in the hands of, of just a few people and a few major corporations. And of course they believe that those people should be self-selected. So they're, you know, they're the ones who are, who are going to do this, but they, they really do see China as a model. And, um, you know, we see in our own country today, you know, more and more uh, control over people's lives. We see it in Europe. Um, because there's more crime and lawlessness. A lot of these things are used in it, you know, as an excuse to, you know, we've got to have more control to, to, uh, to, to bring about, uh, you know, peace and safety. So China really is a nation that these global resetters look to as uh, kind of the model for what they perceive for the future. Do we find China referenced in Daniel 11? And what about the future of the United States in these events as they unfold? Well, yeah, China, you know, in, in, in uh, Daniel 11 there, it says that the Antichrist, he's going to hear rumors from the north and east, and he's going to go forth with great fury you know, and wrath to destroy and annihilate many. Many people, Bible teachers, have taken that. You know, there's rumors from the north and the east is the, the approach of the kings of the east, I mentioned in, in Revelation chapter 16. But my, my view on that is when the Antichrist hears rumors from the north and east, he's actually down in, in North Africa. So rumors from the north and east would be in Israel. So he goes back to Israel to destroy and annihilate many and to, to persecute the Jewish people. So I don't see China there. I don't really see China 
um, anywhere. They, they could be part of the kings of the east, though, in Revelation chapter 16. It's a, a, great, a horde of nations from east of the Euphrates River. Um, the United States, that's an interesting question. I get asked that all the time. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the United States not, is not mentioned, obviously, directly in the Bible. You don't find the words United States or America. Some think there are veiled references to the U.S., you know, the, the, the uh, Babylon in Revelation 17 and 18, they'll say it's New York City, or, you know, the America's the Ten Lost Tribes of Israel, or a lot of different places they, they found America. I don't think America's mentioned either directly or indirectly, which raises the question, obviously, if we're the great world superpower we are today, you'd think we would be mentioned. So I think the, the scriptural silence about America is significant. To me, it indicates something happens to us. Again, people say, well, what will that be? Well, I I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But there certainly are plausible scenarios today, Uh, you know, some kind of a nuclear 9-11 or, you know, the the debt that we have, you know, 30 trillion and just massively growing, Um, the inflation uh, that we see in our country today to devastate our economy, Um, just a collapse from within. You know, there's there's God's wrath on, on a nation as they just continue to turn their back on him. So I don't know for sure. My own view is that really America's judgment could come at the rapture. You, know, you have all the salt and light is going to be extracted out of America in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. And, of course, believers all over the earth will disappear. But at least from what statistics tell us, we somewhere around 8% of the people in America are true believers in Jesus Christ, the, the believers saved by God's grace alone, uh, through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And you know, that would be over 30 million people. So you talk about a drop on the Dow Jones the next day, you know, a mortgage crisis. I mean, it'd be devastating. So it could be that the rapture also happens maybe in conjunction with some of these other things as well, the debt we have, the, you know, the moral uh, corruption in our country, and that will bring us down to some kind of a second or third rate nation possibly after the rapture so that's that's what i see kind of putting the pieces together and i know there, there's some speculation involved in that but i don't think it's you know it's not um, reckless speculation when we look at you know what could america's role be and we'll we'll probably just be absorbed ultimately into to the empire of the antichrist mm-hmm. i guess the, the the larger question is given the fact that god has given us enough information to let us know first of all he's in control that there are a series of events that we can anticipate although we may not fully understand them at at our vantage point at this time um, what should our our response be how should we live in light of what the scripture tells us and what what is coming well, yeah, obviously, if someone's listening, they've never trusted in Jesus as their Savior. That's what they need to do. They need to flee to Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God who came and, and bore our sin debt. He, he died on the cross for our sins. He rose the third day. And it's only through Him that we can have salvation. It's only through Him that we can go to heaven. So if someone's listening who's never done that, the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But if we know the Lord... Um, we need to be uh, ready ourselves, make sure we're living a life that's pleasing to God. Um, I think we need to be sharing this news with others, you know, telling people around us, you know, what the Bible says about the future. Again, you know, this isn't something that's far-fetched. Even people that don't know much about the Bible have a sense today that this world's getting near closing time, uh, that they sense that something's different. And so we, we need to be ambassadors uh, for Jesus Christ I mean, in this time in which we live. And uh, we need to live, as you mentioned earlier, that God's in control. There, there's 500 prophecies in the Bible that have already been fulfilled. There are 500 yet to be fulfilled. 
So the Bible has quite a track record, and uh, God knows the future, and he controls the future. And I always like to tell people, if God's got the whole world in his hands, he's got your world in his hands. That's right. And a lot of us have a lot of problems and struggles in life. Um, And if God controls the world, um, he controls my world. And that ought to be a great comfort to us, whatever we face. A lot, of, a lot of difficulties in this world, but uh, I pray that'll bring comfort to somebody here um, who may be listening this evening. Once again, the book we've been talking about, Global Reset, Do Current Events Point to the Antichrist and His Worldwide Empire? I'll just say that it's eminently readable, and if you uh, are not familiar with the scriptures and what they teach, this is a great guide to walk you through um, what's uh, what we're seeing, what's coming, and what the world has planned for our future, although God is sovereign. Dr. Hitchcock, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. God bless you. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Uh, by the way, the book is published by Thomas Nelson. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, claiming freedom is under attack, California Governor Gavin Newsom took aim at Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in a new campaign ad, claiming freedom is under attack in states such as Florida that are run by Republican governors. And the politics continues. CNN, ABC and NBC panelists on President Biden's response to the Dobbs decision said, well, he hasn't met the moment. Urging abortion proponents to take it back. A left wing commentator is calling on people to raise, well, hell in response to Roe's reversal. Calling for the 4th of July to be canceled. Woke Hollywood elites rallied on uh, social media protesting against Independence Day. And the government uh, cannot properly measure the impact of the hiring freezes in tech and finance companies. But officials remain bullish that current employment opportunities can mitigate any significant negative effects. Russia has turned the tide of war in uh, capturing Lizzy Kansk. Uh, The Wall Street Journal reports that Russian forces have captured Lizzy Kansk at Uh, The last major Ukrainian stronghold um, in Luhansk, effectively placing under Russian control the eastern region at the center of the war in recent months. Russia's defense minister told President Vladimir Putin on Sunday that Russian forces, together with militia from a self-proclaimed Luhansk public, a people's republic, had established full control over the area. Russia's Ministry of Defense reported a Ukrainian official confirmed that their troops were withdrawing from Lizyhansk. Uh, to avoid being surrounded. Russia's declared capture of the city after months of grueling battle signals a victory for Moscow and demonstrates how the tide of the war has shifted since March. CNBC says Russia's defense ministry also said on Sunday that it had struck the military infrastructure of Kharkiv, Ukraine's second largest city in the northeast of the country, where Ukrainian forces have been digging in and building concrete fortifications after nightly shelling. A Reuters reporter said Ukraine says dozens of civilians have been wounded or killed in the region in recent weeks. The Associated Press went on to report that Russia's complete seizure of Luhansk would provide its troops with a stronger base from which to press their advance in the Donbass, a region of mines and factories that President Vladimir Putin is bent on capturing in a campaign that could determine the course of the entire war. A shooting at a 4th of July parade outside Chicago leaves seven dead and 24 hospitalized. At least seven are confirmed dead and 24 more hospitalized rather after a shooting disrupted a 4th of July parade near Highland Park just outside of Chicago on Monday, causing parade goers to scatter and police to close off the area. The shooting began shortly after the parade got underway and multiple people were reportedly struck. 
A Chicago Sun-Times reporter saw several bloodied bodies covered with blankets and other people who were visibly wounded at the scene. USA Today weighs in, pointing out that Lake County Deputy Chief Christopher Cavelli said the gunman apparently opened fire from a rooftop. A rifle was recovered at the scene, but the suspect uh, should still be considered armed and dangerous before he was eventually captured. The city of Orlando apologized for suggesting a pause in celebrating Independence Day due to the state of the country. National Review reports that the city of Orlando issued an apology on Saturday after it suggested in its weekly newsletter that people may may not want to celebrate the 4th of July this year because the country is in strife. When has the country not been in strife, I ask? A lot of people probably won't want to celebrate our nation right now, and we can't blame them. Orlando's City News read on Friday when there is... So much division, hate and unrest. Why on earth would you want to have a party celebrating any of it? But of course, that's not what the celebration is about. Governor DeSantis spokeswoman said, oh, here we go. The city of Orlando apologizes if you were offended by their attack on the 4th of July. This is what happens when you elect uh, uh, Democrats. You guys, they don't uh, they do not have the same view of America as we do. End quote. Well, some Democrats might take issue with that. NPR foregoes a 30-year tradition of reading the Declaration of Independence in favor of equality talk on Independence Day. The woke taxpayer-funded social justice warriors at NPR ended a tradition that was started in 1988 on Monday, canceling the annual July 4th reading of the Declaration of Independence and instead hosting more liberal thinkers on its broadcast uh, echo chamber for a conversation on equality. The Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas upheld the Biden border policy, saying, I think we're doing a good job. Well, Homeland Security Secretary CBS reported on Sunday defended the Biden administration's immigration policy following the deaths of some 53 migrants who were abandoned in the back of a tractor trailer, saying U.S. immigration officials have repeatedly warned against traveling to the southern border. We've said repeatedly and we continue to warn people not to take the dangerous journey, Mallorca said in an interview with Face the Nation. We saw so tragically in San Antonio, Texas, one of the possible tragic results of that dangerous journey, and so many people don't even make it that far in the hands of exploitative smugglers. And we continue to enforce immigration law, as is our legal responsibility, end quote. Well, the secretary said migrants traveling through Central America to the U.S., uh, Mexico border often receive false information from smugglers that encourages them to attempt the journey. RNC research says that DHS Secretary Mayorkas on Biden's border crisis, I think that they are doing a good job. Liz Cheney vows to do everything within her power to keep former President Donald Trump out of the Oval Office. ABC reports the Justice Department should not avoid prosecuting Donald Trump in relation to the January 6th Capitol attack if a prosecution is warranted. Representative Liz Cheney said in an interview with ABC News this week. Uh, While bringing charges against the former president who may challenge President Joe Biden in 2024 would be unprecedented and difficult for the country, not doing so would support a much graver constitutional threat, Cheney said on Wednesday in an interview at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library that aired on Sunday on this week. Uh, This week goes on to say there's no question a man as dangerous as Donald Trump can absolutely never be anywhere near the Oval Office ever again, end quote. Jeff Bezos criticized President Biden for gas price misdirection. Uh, Amazon founder Bezos blasted the president again after the uh, commander in chief demanded that gas stations lower their prices and do it now. 
Bezos, a liberal and owner of the leftist Washington Post, criticized the comment in a tweet that questioned whether Biden understood basic economics. It was the second time in two months that Bezos has weighed in with stinging criticism of the president. Ouch. Inflation is far too important a problem for the White House to keep making statements like this, he said. It's either straight ahead misdirection or a deep misunderstanding of basic market dynamics. A new Harvard Caps Harris poll found that 71 percent of Americans do not want the president to seek reelection. Twenty nine percent of respondents said they believe Biden should run, according to the poll that was conducted on the 28th through the 29th of June. Of those who said Biden should not run for a second term, 45 percent said it was because he is a bad president. Thirty percent said he is too old and about one quarter said it was a time for a change. Just 30 percent of Democrats said that they would vote for Biden in a Democratic presidential primary. Pete Arando um, has resigned as city councilman amid the fallout from the Robb Elementary School shooting. The National Review reports that Uvalde School District Police Chief Pete Arredondo says he has resigned from his role as the Uvalde City Councilman. He uh, was on scene, uh, the commander, during the Robb Elementary School shooting that left 19 students and two teachers dead. He told the Uvalde Leader News on Saturday that he has stepped down from the role as a District 3 councilman. Arredondo was uh, placed on leave from his role as school district police chief last month after the Texas Department of Public Safety Director Steve McCraw called the police response to the shooting an abject failure. McCraw testified before a state Senate committee last month that Arredondo was the only thing stopping a hallway of dedicated officers from entering the adjoining fourth grade classroom where the shooter was mercilessly slaughtering students and their teachers. Uvalde Leader News, Arredondo, reports that Arredondo, the Uvalde Consolidated Independent School District Police Chief, was elected to the District 3 Council position on the May the 7th and was sworn in to that role on May the 31st, days after the May 24th mass shooting at Robb Elementary School, where 21 people died. New York passed a gun bill requiring people to disclose their social media accounts. The New York Democrat Governor Kathy Hochul signed a new gun bill, a gun control bill, Friday after the Supreme Court ruled last week that the state's rules uh, that take uh, that make it difficult rather for residents to obtain a concealed carry permit were constant unconstitutional. The law struck down by the Supreme Court stated that gun owners would have to demonstrate proper cause to receive a concealed carry license. The new law will require people trying to purchase a handgun license to hand over a list of social media accounts. They've maintained over the last three years so officials can verify their character and conduct. The Washington Examiner weighs in. An applicant seeking a permit will need to meet with a licensing officer for an in-person interview, complete at least 16 hours of firearms training, and agree to store all firearms securely, according to the bill. The legislation will also create a statewide database for ammunition sales and license records and mandate sellers to keep records of every ammunition transition or transaction. rather, You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. And we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, attacks on police have skyrocketed as the nation is seeing violent crime soaring across many of America's largest cities. Law enforcement are personally experiencing an increase in violence. So far this year, 178 police officers have been shot in the line of duty, an increase of 19 percent over last year. 
Of the officers attacked, nearly one-third of them were ambushed. Fifty-seven officers were shot, resulting in 12 deaths. National Fraternal Order of Police President Patrick Yose observed, Make no mistake, we are experiencing a real crisis with the level of violence directed at law enforcement officers. It's unlike anything I've seen in my 36 years in law enforcement. End quote. Some 346 officers were shot in 2021, 63 of them mortally. Last year was bad enough, but this year is looking worse. Just how much of this spike in violence against police can be laid at the feet of politicians who repeatedly promoted anti-police or defund the police rhetoric may not be quantifiable, but there is no question it significantly contributed to it. Morale among law enforcement has also been negatively impacted. Suicides have hit epidemic levels among officers, becoming the lead, uh, leading cause of death this year. Despite the uh, his claim to support the police, the president has remained mum in the face of these staggering uh, issues, even as he has spoken about the need to fund and provide mental health services for former criminal re- criminals reentering the society. Well, Team Biden blames the unvaccinated for inflation. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell recently deflected responsibility for the administration's policy induced 40 year high inflation onto unvaccinated Americans. What did we get wrong? Powell asked. Looking at these uh, supply side issues and believing that they would be resolved relatively quickly, but that I mean there were going to be vaccinations. Everyone would get vaccinated. So the millions of people who dropped out of the labor force would come right back in. So wages wouldn't be under such uh, pressure. That didn't happen. Uh, Who ordered the lockdowns again and who uh, further exacerbated the predictability and the negative economic impact of millions not being able to work by mandating a controversial vaccine that put yet another needless roadblock in people's employment paths? Well, the president's one size fits all solution and the the funding to stay home uh, that ignored sound science and data for the sake of uh, pushing an agenda are a major culprit. He issued several vax mandates even after he admitted doing so was likely unconstitutional. Combined the lockdowns, vaccine mandates and a covid relief spending spree. And we can clearly see the causes of the economy's sky high inflation. The administration, not unvaccinated Americans, is to blame no matter Powell's attempts to claim otherwise. Over 60 people were shot, 15 fatally, in a violent July 4th weekend in Chicago. President Biden proposes to block offshore drilling in the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans while allowing some in the Gulf of Mexico. Meanwhile, President Biden is being mocked for ordering gas stations to bring down prices, Jeff Bezos being among them. Senator Elizabeth Warren is calling for federal crackdown on pro-life pregnancy centers. And in a move to defund Wuhan, Congress quietly bans federal funds from labs in China, Russia and Iran. Republicans say the Google spam filter cost them about two billion dollars from donors. And the stock market just had its worst first half of the year since 1970. Forty six states saw GDP decline in the first quarter of 2022. And the U.S. Army announced unvaccinated National Guard and reserve troops won't train and they won't be paid. TikTok has banned the Babylon Bee with no way to appeal that ban. Well, on this day in history, 1865, the Secret Service Division of the U.S. Treasury Department is founded in Washington, D.C., with a mission of suppressing counterfeit currency. 1935, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signs the National Labor Relations Act. 1946, the bikini created by Louis Raird, is modeled by Michelle Somebody during a poolside fashion show in Paris. It was deliberately named uh, after the controversial nuclear test off the bikini atoll just days earlier. He wanted to garner attention. 
Well, certainly the name did, and so did the garment or the absence of a garment. 1947, Larry Doby, he debuts the Cleveland Indians, becoming the first black player in the American League three months after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in the National League. 1975, Arthur Ashe becomes the first black man to win Wimbledon, defeating Jimmy Connors 6-1, 6-1, 5-7, 6-4. 1991, a worldwide financial scandal erupts as regulators in eight countries shut down the Bank of Credit and Commerce International. 1994, Amazon is uh, founded by Jeff Bezos. 1996, Dolly the Sheep, the first mammal cloned from adult cells, is born. 2011, a jury in Orlando, Florida, finds Casey Anthony, 25, not guilty of murder, manslaughter, or child abuse in the 2008 disappearance and death of her two-year-old daughter, Kaylee. She is later convicted of four misdemeanor counts of providing false information to a law enforcement officer. 2016, FBI Director Jim Comey announces that Hillary Clinton was careless in her handling of a personal email server, but that was not criminal. And finally, on this day in history, 2018, EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt resigns amid an ethics scandal that prompted more than a dozen federal and congressional investigations. Well, high gas prices um, are worth it for future of liberal world order. That's a quote from the White House economics advisor speaking on CNN. Well, the White House economics advisor Brian Deese suggested the pain at the pump was a price Americans had to pay for the future of the liberal world order in a CNN interview last Thursday. Well, CNN newsroom host Victor Blackwell played a clip of President Biden telling a reporter on Thursday at the NATO summit that Americans can continue to pay a premium for gas as long as it takes to win the war in Ukraine. Well, Blackwell asked Deese how the White House would respond to Americans worried uh, that they won't be able to survive paying close to or over $5 a gallon, potentially for years to come. The military analysts, the director of national intelligence, say this can be a long war measured in years. I think everybody understands why this is happening. But is it sustainable? Why do you say that uh, to those families that say, listen, we can't afford to pay $4.85 a gallon for months, if not years? This is just not sustainable. Blackwell questioned. Well, Deese initially responded, what you heard from the president today was a clear articulation of the stakes. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. The comment caused a stir on social media. Afterwards, the White House official praised President Biden's actions to lower gas prices as the good news. Good news over the last two weeks. We've seen the price of gas at the pump come down about 20 cents, but still unacceptably high, he remarked. Well, Deese explained the temporary federal gas tax holiday, pressure on oil companies and a potential price cap on Russian oil were measures that the president was taking to continue to bring those uh, prices down. Of course, none of that has actually happened yet. And Congress would have to approve a federal gas tax holiday, which would make very little uh, of a difference in the price of gas nationwide. But Blackwell continued to press the Biden advisor on Americans' dissatisfaction with the administration. He cited an AP NORC poll finding 69 percent disapprove of the job the president is doing on the economy and 85 percent are unhappy with the direction the country is going. Deese responded that he sympathized with Americans' frustrations, but said they needed to remember the Biden administration had made historic economic progress and this was a transition. And also remind the American people that even as we go through this challenging period, 
even while we move through this transition, we also have made historic economic progress. And that's not to suggest that people shouldn't feel the anxiety that they feel. Uh, The Biden official touted how the United States was better and stronger positioned to tackle these problems. When asked what uh, he meant by transition, Deese said the administration wanted to return the economy to a much better place than it was under the Trump administration, which he would be hard pressed to do since it was significantly better. The economy pre-pandemic was not working for a lot of middle class families, the economics advisor claimed, well, falsely claimed, a poll from June found that voters trust Republicans to handle inflation. That was a Fox News poll. Coming up, we're going to uh, talk a bit about an Ann Caldwell column on women after abortion caught in the crossfire. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. I think it's fair to say that this has been an extraordinary season. The U.S. Supreme Court issued decisions that either one side or the other of the political spectrum are extremely excited about or seriously depressed about. In any case, the decision Roe versus Wade was perhaps the most notorious on one side of that spectrum and the most along, uh, most long awaited on the other side of the spectrum. I read an interesting piece. It was posted on the Patriot Post. Uh, And the headline by Ann Caldwell simply read, Caught in the Crossfire, Women After Abortion. And I appreciated her drawing attention to an issue that is rarely discussed in the broader culture. Now, certainly in the pro-life community, this is a subject that is oft addressed, not only in conversation, but in terms of practical help for women who have come to regret their abortions and carry the burden of having made that decision. Well, she writes, having had an abortion herself some uh, 10 years or so ago, uh, she writes, the decision by the the U.S. Supreme Court repealing Roe versus Wade has invoked intense reaction from both sides, leaving many concerned that we may be hopelessly divided as a nation on this critical issue. And I would just add on this and other critical issues. She goes on. A massive number of American lives have been lost as a result of safe and legal abortions, putting both safe and legal in quotes. And even though a milestone has been achieved this past week, we're still pushing a heavy rock uphill. Our culture will long be impacted by the soul crushing reality that abortion is the go to solution for too many unplanned pregnancies. And again, quoting from Anne Caldwell in her column. My first child died in the fall of 1980 in the office of a practicing gynecologist in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I didn't consider any alternatives, nor did I seek wise counsel. As a sophomore in college, I felt invincible, but I will always remember the sights and sounds of that particular Saturday morning in November. The flood of tears and the unnamed ache that I soon buried. My secret became a part of my story that for years seemed perfectly normal. I did not know I was suffering. She goes on. It was legal and it was safe, in quotes, thanks to those who had discovered how to extract a living baby from a mother without, for the most part, damaging her body. If only our hearts and souls were as resilient as our bodies. It has been more than four decades since my abortion became a touchstone in my journey. I am one of tens of millions of women who have had abortions since 1973. Just one. And my abortion had a deep and lasting impact on my life. In fact, reading this aloud still brings me tears, she writes. Again, quoting from Anne Caldwell. Thankfully, I am blessed to have found the path to healthy healing, 
My loving family and dear friends who know my story have truly been there for me. But there are many women and men in your uh, your very midst who have not healed. Folks like us are often caught in the crossfire of the pro-life celebrations and the pro-abortion protests. Even in our places of worship, praises about the Supreme Court decision often overlook the hurting women and men in those pews. I urge us all to consider that many broken individuals are carrying the burden of abortion with them every day. It may be hidden in the mix of failed relationships, addictions, unmet potential, and suffering of all sorts due to shame, embarrassment, false pride. Nobody is the boss of me, grief, and long-held secrets. No one makes a heart change when they feel condemned. No one turns um, no one turns toward hate. As this Supreme Court decision plays out in the coming months and years, remember that there are many who are hurting. Show mercy. Be the help someone needs. Pray for unborn babies. Support women in crisis pregnancies. But also be someone who offers a way out of the heartache of abortion through genuine kindness, respect, and understanding. That's how we heal our nation. Two resources for post-abortion healing are the National Memorial for the Unborn, a place of encouragement for women and men scarred by abortion, and Empty Arms, a book with 60 life-giving stories of hope and healing after abortion. I would add to that that many pregnancy resource centers around the state of Oregon, in southwest Washington, and across the country also provide healing services for those who have come to regret their abortion, some never having admitted having had an abortion after many decades, but carry that burden. And I would encourage you to take full advantage of those resources. Finally, she writes, for each mother and father reading these words, who harbor the pain and suffering of having chosen to end the life or your child, I pray for your journey out of that lonely darkness begins today. Again, quoting from Anne Caldwell, writing for the Patriot Post, the headline of which um, caught in the crossfires, women after abortion. And she brings up a subject that is uh, not discussed in our culture. The uh, the notion that there would be regret uh, is something that you're not permitted to admit, to talk about, or to even acknowledge exists. And yet there are many who believe because that permission has been withdrawn, they simply cannot admit their abortion, certainly to those who are pro-abortion. But there's also the fear that those who are pro-life will respond with condemnation. Now, we know that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And a man or woman who has been involved in an abortion decision who comes to Christ will find there is no condemnation. Thankfully, the sufficiency of God's grace covers every form of sin that you and I might come up with. Yours may be something else, but in God's eyes, the sufficiency of the sacrifice made by Christ is sufficient to cover every form of sin that we have come up with. And quite frankly, there's nothing new under the sun. God is not surprised by the particular list of sins that uh, that dominate our culture today. Uh, he is familiar with the heart of man, and so he's not surprised by. He hasn't overlooked any particular version of sin and thinking, well, I've carved out an exception there. Um, there is grace and mercy for all of us, whatever has separated us from him. And the scripture says we are all separated by virtue of our sin. And you can fill in the details uh, if you'd like. But uh, God has made provision for all of us. So I appreciated her willingness to talk about her own experience and to remind the rest of us that women after abortion often experience a significant amount of pain and an unwillingness or inability to admit 
or talk about that particular event. So let's be open and responsive and pray for those who are suffering. And that's both men and women. Sometimes men are engaged in an abortion decision or an abortion was undertaken and they oppose the idea, but they've been impacted. There are grandparents and family members who've also been impacted. And we would do well to respond with compassion and mercy and to pray for and come alongside those who are suffering, some of whom sit next to us in church. They're part of our Bible study. They attend BSF. They're a parent to one of your child's playmates, whoever they may be. We can respond in a way that extends the love of Christ and demonstrates the grace that we have come to know in our walk with him. Well, we are out of time. I do want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Moppin for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. By the way, tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with Dr. Greg Jans. We actually had that scheduled last week. We've rescheduled his latest book, Social Media and Depression. And then on Thursday, Lina Abujamara will talk about fractured faith, finding your way back to God in an age of deconstruction. That's coming up on Thursday. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.